Welcome to Revive University Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. I've known Reva for quite some time. She's been a friend. Um, I known her when I really didn't have many friends down here. I was just getting to acclimate in Florida. We actually met at a RAP, um, a wellness recovery action plan, like I think meeting that we're with. And that's when I first met her. And I was thrilled when she agreed to be on the podcast. I know sometimes telling your story can be very hard, but what I find, it can also be very healing. Thank you and welcome, Reva. Hello, Robert. It's good to talk to you today. I like to start off each episode with a quote to set the tone. Um, this quote like kind of resonated with, with kind of what the title and the title of the episode is weathering the storm with recovery and the quote goes our greatest glory is not in never failing but in rising up every time we fail it's from ralph waldo emerson we learn we learn more from our failures than our successes i just remember back before florida how the numbing and avoidance of facing trials and tribulations has really been a setback in my recovery. Now, Riva, what does this quote, you know, say to you? And what do you feel contributed in your first steps to your recovery? Like this, this ideal of, of failure versus success. You know, a lot of us get tied up that, oh, but we all, what I thought, especially being in recovery, be, the one uh, being a peer myself, that, um, that we learn a lot more from our failures than our successes. Well, Robert, let me first say that I have always been uh, a little afraid of failure. I like to do things once and um, be done with it and move on. So when I say weathering the storm, changing old attitudes and perspectives have helped me change my attitude toward failure and my perspective of making mistakes. Today... I am not as afraid to make mistakes so that I can become successful. And we had to do that a couple years ago when some hurricanes flew across North Florida and damaged our homes. And that was the beginning of me having to make a lot of mistakes in order to get successful again. In other words, to rebuild our homes and our lives after a lot of devastation. Yeah, you know, the idea is that um, a lot of people could say, you know, my value hinges on not making a mistake. But how realistic is that? (laughs) My value hinges on being 100%. You know, me being a peer, yes, we have the struggles of our illness, but at the same time, you know, the idea that we just shy away from failure and we try to avoid it and we base our value on that is unrealistic and can be kind of damaging in how we see ourselves and how we see the world, you know. Um, before coming to this podcast, I, I recall you a lot of times when we were talking, you're, you talked a lot about the 12-step program that you are in. Um, first, can you share with the people listening, you know, today, what is the 12-step program and what does it involve? Well, for me, I was introduced to the 12-step program through an intensive outpatient program for mental health and drug addiction and alcohol addiction. 
Yes. And uh, I didn't know what 12 steps were, but during the group therapies, they were introducing steps one, two, and three. And uh, it was about surrendering and, and, and making admissions. And, and um, th those were ideas that were new to me. And I learned them through group therapy and later going to meetings in the local community that were 12-step meetings, which are like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because when you talk about surrender, you know, the idea is, you know, every, like a lot of people know, like being thankful for things in life, thankful for what you got is healing. And I feel like it is because it leaves room for healing. When you're always kind of like resentful or angry for what you have, there's no room for healing. You know, there's always going to be someone worse off than you and someone better off than you and like the whole mainstream scheme of things. But also another thing is forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is a huge component of healing. You know, um, I've, I've seen, I've heard about the 12 step program feel it's the serenity prayer is, is, I just think it amazingly like um, revealing and kind of, I don't know. I feel at the very base level it kind of strips down all the all the excess that we, what we carry a lot of times because at the end of the day we walk out the door there's so much things that could happen there's so many traumas around us you know what i mean we could get in a car accident someone else could get sick in our family people we care about relationships connections these things matter to us as much as we try to lie that they don't so um Next, how has the 12 sec program helps you see your recovery today? Like you've been doing it for, I would say quite some time now. Has it, how's it, how's it affected your recovery? You think yourself? Well, it has taught me a lot in self-development and maturity hmm. and um, growth. And it, they, there's a saying, faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. And Without blind faith initially, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought to to trust a, a higher power yeah. or um, a, a God. And that in itself has helped me change my whole uh, feelings about life. And uh, not that I'm immune to any perils, but when I feel anxiety, when I feel stressful, I say a prayer mm -hmm. and uh, meditate so that I have a better uh, sense of being and uh, calmness about myself. You know, it's interesting just hearing that um, when I first got baptized, it was funny, the, 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 the pastor, he's like, I was like, you know, I'll do it April or May. It was January. And he said, how about next week? The funny thing, and I did, Reva, I did. And the funny thing is this. Did I know everything? No. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. But I was willing. That was the point. I was willing. Mm -hmm. And that Very means that is, the, that is key. Willingness is so, looks so, like, so minimal, but that is the first steps. You know, talk about suicide. You know, you have to be willing to get the help. 
if you don't, you know how quick that could turn real south. You know what I mean? And um, willingness is key, you know? And a lot of times what fosters the willingness is a safe place. And I feel like support groups, 12-step programs, you know, I do NAMI support groups. We try to foster that safe environment because at the end of the day, we know life happens and it may get worse, you know, in your recovery. You know, you may get five steps back, but if you provide enough safe places, you know, whether within your family and friends, whether in a support group, 12-step program, then you could be like, then there's a better chance that you'll get the help that you need. And to those who say, I don't have mental health problems. I don't have any of this stuff. You know what? You're play a part too because you have to be willing to listen. All of us play a part. You know someone who's suffering. You know what I mean? So now without further delay, Reva, thank you again for being on the podcast. I know sometimes I find it a struggle when I just sometimes sharing sharing because it just kind of makes us relive certain parts of our lives but i do find it very healing but again thank you for agreeing to be a guest will you share with us those listening your story of recovery yes robert i will share a little bit of my story of recovery it's a um, a learning experience for me in my 30s and um Initially, I, I, I'm from Miami, Florida, and I grew up there with a, a very nice family, a little dysfunctional and, uh, and uh, argumentative at times, but loving and uh, supportive of, of finances and water, food, and shelter. Mm-hmm. And so when I reached my 20s, I started working in South Florida, mm-hmm. started dating and, and tried to survive as a young person. Yes. But my, my, my substance abuse issues started to interfere with my work pro- production and yeah. eventually my, my psychology or my psych, you know, my psychiatric state of mind started slipping, mm-hmm. and um, I had a uh, a breakdown that w- led me to leave my work, leave my boyfriend, leave my family, and uh, move to North Florida, yes. where I I I began to go to uh, programs for uh, th- those issues for and. Uh, I lived in um, facilities that were there to support people with mental illness and um, eventually I was in a dual diagnosis facility in um, St. Simons Island, Georgia. Mm. And that's where I I learned about um, the 12-step programs and um, when I left that program, or it, it was an institution. When I left that institution, I started uh, doing community meetings, and um, I learned a, a little bit at a time. And so, by sitting in those meetings and listening to people repeat themselves and reading the literature, I learned a, a, a new philosophy of thought, and uh, that's 
where my life really began to change because when I implement those new philosophies of thought, I have better results. And uh, today I, I have a, a sense of happiness and, and success that I, I didn't have before. I was in a very dark place and, and um, I didn't know how to, to leave it. I didn't know how to change it. I, I, everything I was trying was uh, failing. I, I was making bad decisions. I, I was becoming suicidal. Yeah. It, it was, it, it was a, a mess, and um, that's why uh, denial is is so important. I, I really empathize with people who deny they have a alcohol or drug problem, mm-hmm. or deny that they're uh, mentally ill, because. That is the first step in 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 recovery, and, and that's admission. And yes. and then the you know for me uh, the second you know this this is not twelve step talk, but uh, uh, the second step is for me submission and to submit to an institution or a facility that um, can support you that can provide medication that can provide food that can provide counseling that can provide relief from the stress of of life sometimes that create these mental illnesses i i I believe that my um uh and it can be self-inflicted stress it could be self-inflicted uh pressure to produce yeah to be a person that is that is uh more successful than imaginable you know today i have uh, a lot of gratitude just for my family yeah you know just for my health you know i don't have a lot of money i don't Mm. have a a lot of of material things but i have my sense of peace and my sense of gratitude and and my love for uh nature Mm -hmm. for the ocean for uh, birds, for yeah. any type of animals, I have pets. So I think having a, a cat or a dog is a wonderful way to uh, relay love and, and affection, mm-hmm. especially if relationships are hard, yes. um, hard to have. And, yeah. and 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 I must say, in recovery, it's very difficult to find a, uh, a stable relationship because I don't want to return to where I came from, which was uh, relationships that were were unhealthy. Yeah, that, toxic. Yeah. It's very toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing is, like, relationships are a risk. It is a risk. You know, I do like what you're saying because, you know, I'm a leader in my church. You know, obviously now I'm going to, um, um, some may know I'm going to Palm Coast Church, but the thing is, um, I go to hospitals. I've been to plenty of funerals and sometimes when I'm on their bed like I'm praying for them never do I hear about them just talking about the things they own or the titles they had it's all about the connections and the people that surround them you know what I mean mm-hmm. you know you burn on like the thing is at the end of the day what will it matter because um, and I find that very interesting because when I saw that you know going to the church you know be serving and also just seeing in my life you know the kind of toxic thoughts i i heard in funerals that were of someone who committed suicide you know and then 
the things that were said was like, oh, he or she was going to do it anyway. You know, problem with that is that that person, I'm not, I'm not even talking about the insensitivity. That person is not allowing room to heal. There's just a lot of animosity. You don't talk about gratitude. Gratitude is healing. You know, I think you, you displayed that in just what you were saying and being thankful because honestly, at the end of the day, um, you know, just, just embracing, you know, surrendering and uh, the idea of connections, you know, the last few, uh, two recordings I've done, uh, the biggest thing that was said was, um, um, we're not islands. We could pretend we are. There's this one saying that we could, um, you could put walls around yourself to avoid pain, but you also push out the good too. So there's that balance. I know for me being up here and um, struggling with um, mental illness for quite some time, um, it is a struggle to kind of to say I'm going to get in a relationship, not even just a romantic, just even a friendship. You know what I mean? Because those things, the more closer you get, the more risk it is because the more invested you are. You know what I mean? Because as much as you try to be like complacent, you know, there comes to a point where you ask your yourself, why am I hanging out with this person? Why am I spending time with this person? Because time in itself is a commodity that people kind of don't see value, but it is value. And people getting older in their lives see it even more so. You know, we're fairly young, but, you know, as we grow older, we're going to see it more clearly. Um, I want to ask you this one question. You know, we're talking about connection. We talk about gratitude. We talk about, you talk about nature and all this, these healing components. Um, how do you view connections? You know, your family and friends, maybe even nature when you go out. How do you view that now versus how you viewed it when you first were, were how you say, uh, willing? You know, when you first admitted you, you got through the denial, you had a mission that there was something wrong with you and you were going to do something about it. Because um, I think that's very, very important to kind of see, see that because it's not that we rely on a person, a person to be our focal point of our recovery, but we want to share our lives. I don't care how, how well you're doing financially if you have no one to share it with how sad is that you know what i mean um so can you share with us uh how you view connections from the beginning of your recovery to now okay i'll i'll give it a shot i think <laughs> that because uh, relationships are ever changing yeah and uh the uh the the personal relationships that i had uh before recovery were, were, were very, uh, loose and, uh, mm. and, and not very sincere. Yes. And, and now the, um, the relationships that I have are, are much more, uh, touching and, uh, and they, they involve sending texts back and forth. How are you doing today? You know, do, do you want to have coffee? You know, those are things in relationships I didn't, I didn't do before. And, you know, a lot of times uh, I can, if I'm feeling lonely, I can find uh, a friend who will have, who will either sit with me for a few hours or go out to dinner with me to, you know, just to have a, a social night together. Mm -hmm. 
those little things mean a, a lot to me because I was before I was looking for my my happiness in nightclubs and bars yes. in South Beach. You, yeah. You, you know, yeah, because you know it doesn't matter how many people are in those places because I've been in those places, and you could be still feel so lonely. It'll be like it'll be packed to the brim, like a club or a bar, and you'll feel like you're by yourself. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, and then what do you do? You know, people like a, you know, you start drinking you know I mean? <laughs> more and more to kind of like dull it because if you, I, I, I. I if someone has a mindset that they're desperate and they're just going to a club to get, you know, kind of that soul, that, that, that connection, the, the propensity of them actually drinking at the end of the night is, is higher because like chances are there are a lot of clicks. There are a lot of groups. You go to a club, there's a lot of people just in groups and you can't just go and you could go and talk, but like, even if you do, it's it's just not as conducive what you're talking about like people checking on you how are you you want to go out for coffee those things those they seem small but they're huge they're huge because it's like the connections you're having now versus what you had before have more substance you know what i mean you know yes more substance you know that i i really um and i feel like connections and how we connect with others and really play a good big part in someone's recovery you know what i mean and how they move forward it's not that you you know that you depend on them but the idea of being around a, a community whether you're 12 step program you know everything you're doing it it is it is fundamentally cathartic to and healing to do those things with people versus by yourself um i want to ask a question if um People a lot of times think of loss as someone dying, and I've lost a couple people close to me. But in regards to mental health and substance abuse, you know, there are other types of loss that may be the biggest hurdle to overcome. What have you seen, either in your own life or you've seen being in groups and stuff that you've seen was one of the biggest losses when you're when you're diagnosed with like, you know what's whatever or or you're you're sent to a rehab facility or all this stuff what are the losses that you that you feel stick out to you either personally or have you seen in the circles you've been around well the the biggest loss that i've had is ego and mm. when i go through those institutions or the, the those group therapies or or you know all of that admission of uh needing help from society I, I i had to surrender my ego so that i'm not the one who's fixing everything i'm not the one who's thinking the uh, plan of action for everyone i i had to surrender to you know eventually to a higher power but i also had to surrender to those who know a little more than me and yes. who can provide resources to me that I cannot provide on my own. Yes, it's the idea like, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, you know, we feel that our value hinges on 
on a, a certain expectation we have, you know, like our value hinges on being a hundred percent all the time. You know I mean, I remember reading this book, uh, this one author said that, um, he was a, he's a therapist and the guy comes in and he was a real realtor right? and it was during the housing bubble in the 2000s and he before that he was making so much money he was he was doing really well but now he was making nothing he couldn't sell anything and the biggest thing was like he felt his value hinged on that well i I don't think uh, that's not how I feel now. I, 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 I feel from what we've been talking about is that that's not how you feel either, Riva. Like our value hinges on you being Riva. You know, I got to know you a bit when, when I first got to Florida. You know, we were both struggling at times. But the thing is, we helped each other just by what? Sitting there with each other, going out to coffee, doing what we did, you know, community being there, being willing to connect is is vital. And our value does not hinge on us being 100%. A lot of times people are like, oh, I made it, you know, I made my way. You know, I'm owed what's owed. You know that whole mentality, entitlement. Entitlement, I've seen so much, has been so toxic, you know, because it leaves no room for healing. Leaves no room for nothing else. And um, I feel... When we have a, a, a mentality of gratitude, a willingness to forgive, and forgiveness is doesn't need the other person. It only needs one person, that's yourself. It's not saying that that person did right to you or you, 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 you um, accept what they did, but you need room to heal. Forgiveness is the thing, and it takes time. It, takes, it may take years or decades for you to heal, you know, I've, and... Um, for us, it's just, it's not about making it anywhere like, oh, I've made it. It's always this journey of recovery that we continue to try to better ourselves as we piece the pieces together. You know, when I first got the diagnosis and when I was, when I had a breakdown over in England, I remember my value shattered. You know, I remember in college, senior year, I had a great opportunity to do this great job. And I had a breakdown in my final interview and my value shattered. You know what I mean? And like a few, like six months, of, I don't know, several months later, I was on disability. You know what I mean? So it was hard. It was hard to see, you know, because I was always a hard worker. I was always one who valued, you know, when I was in the military, that was the one that kept me in, was just working. But I, they always said, you're great at life. No, no, you're great at work, but you suck at life. That was my performance a little. <laughs> so um, I, I don't want to. I want to ask you this one question, and because we, like I mentioned in the beginning, we do rap. I just want to like kind of like ask you this this question that we we ask ourselves. You know, those who are in recovery, what daily things do you do that help you maintain your progression forward? Like, what's your daily maintenance? What do you need to do to keep going? You know, and yeah, well, I'll tell you, I I. I've incorporated a couple things into my life. The first one is yoga. Mm. And the other one is cooking for myself and uh, cooking uh, vegetarian foods. Yeah, those two things have really helped me ease into middle age 
so that I, I don't have the, um, the quirks or the idiosyncrasies physically of, uh, that, that just are natural with age because I never thought I was going to live this long. You know, I was, (laughs) yeah. You know, it's funny you say cooking because I have actually been cooking more, Reva. <laughs> and I like it. I'm not great. Well, I don't know. I could follow directions. We'll just go that far. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, I find, like, a simple things like cooking very cathartic. You have, a, you have a goal. You know, you have these ingredients, and you, you kind of you make something out of it. You make something. And when it, and when it comes out well, you feel good. You know, you feel, you, and then you continue to do it. It's just something that I, I find very, um, and I know you do a lot of baking, right? Is that, am I correct? Mm-hmm. You do, and um, stuff, and I always enjoy getting some of that stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely finding something, you know, um, um, is very important. Uh, I, 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 I've been reading this book. Well, I'm almost done with it. It's from Viktor Frankl. It's uh, Man Finding Meaning. He's a guy from... He was a prisoner in Auschwitz in, um, during World War II. Right? And um, he was a Jew. And he said that, I'm paraphrasing here, I said, is that when you know the why in your life, the how gets bearable. Meaning is so important when it comes to recovery. And it doesn't mean to be one thing. You know, it could be multiple things. Like, for instance, if you stop cooking, how would that affect your recovery? Oh, that would devastate. It would not only devastate my recovery, it would devastate my lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. These things that people will think like, ah, it's just cooking. No, it's not just cooking. It's part of your recovery. You know, I do, you know, this podcast and I do, um, sometimes I do events and I do speak and people ask me, why do you do this? Like, I do it because helping people, serving people is my recovery. Helping people is my healing. That's why I do it. I find a lot of, I've learned so much from connecting with people and hearing their stories and, and, and also sharing mine. You know, there's this, this, this connectiveness of, about it all. Now, I just want to ask this one question. Um, if someone is listening to this and has a similar story like yours, Reva, what one advice would you give them right now? Well, the first one I would give them is uh, get over that denial hump. Yes. You know, that, that is the biggest obstacle that I see for people who, are, who need help. And uh, the resources are there, but there's just a, a, a still a void between the hand that's reaching out and the hand that's receiving. Yes. And so th- that's uh, one thing. And, and then the other is, you had mentioned it earlier in our talk of forgiveness that is so important and it, it's that that action is sometimes very difficult it, it is it's it's very hard to let go and let god into mm-hmm. um the, the picture and uh release all the anger and the hatred and the disdain uh and and replace it with compassion and and, and love and tolerance mm-hmm. you know th- those are for sometimes the the person that's just experiencing mental illness those adjectives don't mean anything but Mm -hmm. maybe uh, a friend or uh just a a little love and 
in, in oneself to say, I, I, I can change. This, this doesn't have to be permanent. Because at that time, it feels like it's permanent. The, yeah. the suicidal thoughts, the uh, anger, you know, it seems like the paranoia, that, yeah. that seems e- eternal too. And so uh, in, somehow just getting a glimmer of clarity and, and, and hope can I, I I I would send out to somebody who's who's just learning about mental health and substance abuse. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Reva, for sharing so much with us today. And just want to, you know, I I I want to give you an opportunity to um, share anything else. If um, any last comments, last last things that you want to say. A lot of times. I find that um, um, for me, I usually say, you know, stuff like it's okay to not be okay, and you know, because there is there is help out there. Is this is finding the resources, is finding the connections, and being willing. Um, is there anything you want to end wrapping up your story before I ask you the last question? Okay, I'll I'll say that there there's there there are a lot of uh, slogans in twelve uh, step recovery program and um, yeah. there there's one that goes with the acronym HOW H O W and that is honest, open minded, and willing, and yes. those those are some actions that uh, I I think are beneficial to anybody's self development and so I. I, I have I struggle with them, but yeah. I have been uh, very honest and open-minded and and willing to accept others and to accept my station in life and and to love myself and to love my neighbor and love my family. Mm-hmm. So th- those are some important things that I, I've I'm just sending out to the world. Yeah, thank you. Now. Finally, the question Revive Ministry podcast is trying to answer as a community of people around the world. And I think we've been answering this whole time. But just to ask this question, why should we care? You know, it's a, it's a hard question. But when I got to that question later on in my recovery, it really helped me. Because there's a lot of people out there maybe listening. I'm like, I don't get it. You know? <laughs> don't get it. You know what I mean? And it's okay you don't get it. The thing is that we just have to keep the dialogue going because, you know, you may not have mental illness. You may not have substance abuse, but someone you know may, a coworker, a friend, a relative. And, you know, we talk about safe places, safe, a safe space, you know. And you may say, I, I, I don't need, I don't have anything to do. But you're connected. We're all connected. So the willingness to listen. Like a lot of times as a leader, I I remember just like a lot of people may say things that I don't agree with, but letting them process and letting them have an outlet is hugely healing. So if people were to, if I were to ask you, why should we care? What would you say? Well, this is a new thought for me. And uh, it's only from giving a lot of uh, talks with you, Robert, into the community Mm -hmm. uh, that I have learned that even that schizophrenic homeless woman or man who's talking to themselves pushing a shopping cart belongs to somebody they are they are the 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 wife or the husband or the child or the sister or the brother 
the niece, the nephew, the cousin, they they belong to somebody. And, and even if they don't belong to anybody, they belong to society. And I think it's important for a community to care for its mentally ill people. And that that's a challenge because everybody wants to shut the door on somebody who's ill. They yeah. want to put them in the closet and not hear them, not see them, and not speak to them. But somehow, nature has it so that this person is is part of, has left the closet, and is part of society, and sometimes lost. So I think we should care about every being, whether they're successful or whether they're lost. You know, there's a quote that says, a community that excludes even one member is no community at all. You know, this idea you were saying, you know, that that person might be someone's um, sister, bro, you know, child is very real because the thing is, ultimately, um, um, we, um, we are not islands. And the idea is this, that um, all of us play a part and that person when we start doing us and them, Riva, then the the divide is already there. You know, I, I do, you know, we do CIT. Sometimes Riva is there with me, with the NAMI. And a lot of times I tell them, when they ask me, what do I do when they're in crisis? Stop looking at them as us and them. Mm-hmm. Look at them as like they're your brother, your sister. Then everything will come naturally. You know what I mean? So, um, it's not about us and them. It's about us. Like I said in the beginning, a community of people around the world. What does Revive Energy say? Revive Energy says, why should we care? Because we can't afford not to. Thank you, Reva, for sharing your story with us today. Now I'd like to give, like, shift gears and t- give you time to share with us what you have been up to lately. And everything will be in the notes. So just feel free to share whatever you'd like to. Oh, well, what, I've been really fortunate. I, I did a little traveling. I rode the train to mm, South Florida to, uh, yeah, to visit my, my family. And, and that's a, th- that was a successful visit. And um, now I'm back in North Florida and I'm starting my uh, yoga classes again. Mm. And they are very, very helpful, not only physically to keep me flexible, but uh emotionally and, and spiritually that there's a, a meditation in the beginning and a meditation at the end and I I give myself a little you know, sometimes there's even a, a firm affirmation so I give myself a little pep talk with mm-hmm. the affirmation and uh, I have the courage to to embrace the day and, and if I'm uh, ha- have the time and, and willing I, I go to a, a 12-step recovery meeting mm-hmm. and there I just get reminded that uh, everything's okay. Yeah. The world is not falling apart. Uh, my, in my mind can be my own worst enemy sometimes. Yes. And so I have to keep my thoughts at bay and know that not all thoughts are facts. Yes. That you know, there are a lot of delusional thoughts, even in recovery. I, yeah. I doesn't, you know, because I'm, I'm on medication or I go to therapy, or I do support groups. It doesn't mean every thought is normal. Some I do have abnormal thoughts, and letting them 
dissolve as a thought is the key rather than acting on them. And today I'm not acting on uh, delusional thoughts at all. I'm, I'm much more together and- um, That's, that's yeah. wonderful. Any resources that you, that you found useful during your course of recovery? Obviously you mentioned 12 step, which is attached to the AA. Um, anything else um, that you would like to mention that helps you during your whole trek of recovery? Any, any, some, maybe someone who's like at the first steps, let, let's say they just, they're not denying and they're trying to get help. Maybe it's a family member. What, well, resor mm -hmm. what resources well, would, go ahead. Okay. The resources that I can um, think of are usually uh, drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers. Okay. And there are, uh, there are a couple in uh, St. Augustine. That's the area where I live. Mm -hmm. And um, one is called Epic. Okay. And, and I think a lot of times um, those 12 step meetings go into those re uh, rehabilitation centers. And, and uh, it's very good to, to be on the one side of that building and then on the other side, you know, once they release you and you're in the community, mm -hmm. you know, to, to give back to the, the, the people who are new into the rehab. Yeah. You know, I feel a lot of that uh, cycle, and I think that's the best um, resource possible is to give what you've received freely. That's very, that's wonderful. Thank you again for being a guest, Reva. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Anyway, till next time, this is goodbye from Revive Ministry Podcast. Please check out our website for updates and latest episodes of, of the podcast on Revive Ministries fl.com forward slash podcast i will leave you with this quote it says healing may not be so much about getting better as about letting go of everything that isn't you all the expectations all of the beliefs and becoming who you are <laughs>